Yeah, the clock starts now. That's right. Um, so let's look at, at uh, what Jesus had to say about the relationship of Scripture with discipleship. And in John chapter 8, in one of his many long discourses, he, uh, uh, he says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Uh, some translations have, If you continue in my word, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus said, Welcome to the Matrix. Right? Uh, just keep, keep in mind there's two categories of people here that John seems to point out. There's, there's believers and there's disciples. There were lots of people who, and it's true today, isn't there? There's lots of people who believe in Jesus, but he distinguishes between mere believing and being disciples, and the, the difference is the continuing in the Word of holding on to his teaching. Now, what does that mean, holding on to his teaching? Oops, sorry. And he goes on and says, just, just wanted you to see that again. Um, Jesus replied, saying, Verily I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So the implication is, is that discipleship is about becoming more and more free. Discipleship is about becoming more and more who you are. It's about becoming more human. It's about becoming more, as, as Simon talked about last Sunday, for others. And that the Word of God, the Scriptures, have a role in that freeing process. But there are limitations to Scripture that we need to be aware of. Jesus said this to the Pharisees. If anybody knew the Scriptures, it was the Pharisees. They were like a modern-day evangelical theologian. They were kind of the equivalent of the, uh, the bookish theologian who knows the Bible inside and out, and yet they didn't know God. And Jesus says, you study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you possess eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. That is scary. That you can be immersed in the Bible and not come to the God of the Bible. That tells me that there is such a thing as what we call bibliolatry. Where you make an idol of the book and you worship the book over God. The book is meant to lead you to God. The book is meant to be a friend that introduces you to Jesus so you can be a disciple of Jesus. It is a sacrament. It's a means by which you and I have been given a gift to encounter God. So in light of that, then, how does Scripture interact with our discipleship? 
Well, again, let's go back to the Great Commission for a second because some good insight is given in, in this, and we've been reading this almost every week. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So when we talk about the authority of Scripture, we need to understand that, first of all, we're talking about God's authority. How, is, how does God exercise His authority in our lives through Scripture? What is the role of Scripture in that? Verse 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them or into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And so, uh, as we talked about the first week, disciples are not those that just know content, but learn how to do what Christ has commanded us. But we need to know the content. And how do we learn the content? We learn it through Scripture, right? And so the early church practiced this uh, in that great altar call that Peter gave on the day of Pentecost. It says those in verse 41 of Acts 2, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. We talked about that last week. And to prayer. We'll be talking about that more as we move towards Pentecost Sunday. These are things that the early church devoted themselves to in the process of making disciples. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So what was the apostles' teaching? What was it? Remember, Jesus has just died and ascended and gone back to heaven. And now it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. These were probably those leaders that Jesus had delegated authority to, to preach the gospel. But what was the teaching? Huh? Now that's part of it. Yeah. It, it was the story of Jesus. They, 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 all they could do was teach about what Jesus did and what Jesus said. Right? That was their teaching. They did not, in fact, I think one part of Acts, it says they did not cease to teach and preach Jesus Christ. However, there was a context for that. It's been interesting and intriguing for me because I've been assigned to kind of rewrite with input the, the Vineyard National uh, Vision Statement. And I've been aware that as I look at different churches and movements, they say things like this with regards to the, the centrality of Scripture and the role of Scripture. They will say things like, we are a Bible-centered community or a biblically-based community. And in seeking to find language for this in our movement that, we, in, in, that our generation can understand, we came up with this phrase that we have written in our, in our revamped uh, vision statement. And it goes like this. Our communities are shaped by the story of Jesus in the context of Israel's story as told in the Old Testament and as told and interpreted by the writers of the New Testament. 
So the story of Jesus, the Scriptures in summary for us are the story of Jesus set in the context of Israel's story. In other words, Jesus didn't just show up on a mountaintop, Mount Everest, and say, hey, I'm God, follow me. He came as a human. It says He was born under the law, became a Jew. And there was a reason. God prepared the people of Israel for thousands of years for the coming of Jesus. And He was the ultimate Jew when He came. The true Israelite, right? So His story is set in the context of Israel, which is the story of the Old Testament as told and interpreted by the New Testament. So we have the Old Testament story of Israel, the New Testament interpretation of Jesus, which is the epistles, you know, Revelation and all the writings of Paul and Peter and others. And then we have the story of Jesus, which is the Gospels. All right? Now, that's important. This shaping language is not unfamiliar to Scripture. Um... Paul writes this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Therefore you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I love the J.B. Phillips translation of this. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. But let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove and practice that the plan of God for you is good. It meets all His demands and moves towards the goal of true maturity. How many of you have been aware that there's a constant pressure to be shaped by the world? It comes at you and I through the media. It comes at us through movies, through TV, through social pressure, through job, through education, through the news. There's this constant shaping and and, and pressure to be shaped into the world's mold. Now, it's not all bad. Not everything that the the world values and holds as priority is bad, but there's a lot of things that the world says, this is important, this is a value, this is a priority, that God says, "Uh uh-uh. Right? So how are we going to know whether we should submit to that shaping that's happening or not? How do we discern that? Well, we bring it all into the light of Scripture all the time. And... I have found that even every day, there's hardly a day that I don't spend in Scripture. There's hardly a day that I don't devote myself to the Scriptures, not just because it's my vocation. I did this when I worked for five years at UBC and I went into the mining department. I got up early before I went to school and I said, Jesus, I'm still your minister as I go to this university department. And I would give myself to the Scripture and the Scriptures would shape me. But I find that the world is constantly trying to shape us and Scripture will challenge that. And, you know, I love Montreal Comedy Fest and Winnipeg Comedy Fest and, you know, uh, to, to a degree, I you know some of these other comedians in our country. But how many know if you're holding everything up to the light of Scripture, there are some things the world laughs at that you can't laugh at. It's not funny. 
It says in Psalms, Blessed are those who do not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but who delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on His law day and night. They are like a tree... I'm going to read that again. But who delight in the law of the Lord. See, it's not just reading. It's not just meditating. It's delighting. It's literally allowing your spirit, your emotions, your mind, your values, your priorities to be shaped through delight. Treasuring the Word of God. They will be like a tree planted by rivers of water which yield fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, but whatever they do prospers. Now, Paul wrote to Timothy and said it this way. Timothy was, you remember, Paul's disciple, and he was mentoring him for leadership in the church. And he knew Timothy as a teenager. In fact, Timothy probably saw Paul stoned at Lystra. Remember that terrible time where they thought Paul was dead? Timothy, as a teenager, probably witnessed that. How many know that's a way to shape disciples? Is to let them see you almost killed (laughs) for the gospel. And Paul actually refers to that later where he says, Timothy, you have fully known my suffering. You've fully known my hardship. You've You've witnessed. I haven't just talked about the cost of discipleship. You watched me walk through this. So Paul is encouraging Timothy and he gives him a good Mother's Day scripture. From 2 Timothy 3 it says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. Who is he talking about? Who did he learn it from? Well, that's true. See, you're always right, Kenny. What did, who did he learn it from? Norm's got it. His grandma. Woohoo! His grandma Lois. His mother Eunice. And from? Jesus. Right again. I know it's Jesus. <laughs> Can't go wrong with that one. He even invented the electric light bulb. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just kidding you, Ken. Yeah. So, so there's, there's this... Paul is, is referring to his grandma, and the reason I know that is in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says, I recalled your tears, Timothy, the last time we said goodbye, and I long to see you that I may be filled with joy, and I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which was first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded in you also. See, Timothy didn't have a Christian father and it it seems like his father wasn't engaged in his life. But his mother, his grandmother, was a Jew and and his mother was a Jew and they were faithful to teach this little guy the Scriptures. They immersed him. They discipled him in the Scriptures. But they could only do so much. And so finally at the age of, I don't know, late teens, Paul was traveling through Lystra, through that area of the country, And he said to the church elders, you know, I think there's leadership on this young man. Do you mind if I take him with me? And so it shows us that there are different seasons in our life where people will disciple us and shape us. So it was Paul, Timothy's grandmother and mother through his early years, and then Paul became a real spiritual father and maybe really filled a gap 
that Timothy was missing later on in his life. And so he goes on to say, verse 15, and how from infancy, testimony again to grandmother and mother, how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed. There are sometimes when people wrote Scripture, they were receiving visions and revelations, but there were other times like Ezra, all he was doing was scribing and making, getting copies together. He had no idea until later on the church recognized that this was God-breathed. See, we, part of our doctrine as Christians is we believe in the sovereignty of God to work through the church to recognize the authority of Scripture. And so all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, which is what we're doing now, right? Rebuking. Now, don't let that word scare you. It's the same word as Hebrews 11.1 where it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence. Everybody say evidence. The same Greek word is evidence. Now, how many have ever been in a situation where you didn't think you were wrong and all of a sudden either a scripture or a sermon or somebody spoke to you and all of a sudden you went, I'm wrong. Whoa. Remember, remember uh, David when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered her husband? He went for a whole year and he thought he got away with it, didn't he? Kind of maybe justified it as I'm, I'm, a, I'm a king in midlife crisis. Well, I don't know what his justification was. But all of a sudden a prophet shows up and says, David, there was a very wealthy man with thousands of sheep and there was a little, very, very poor man with a neighbor next door to him who only had one sheep and the wealthy man had some guests over and he took the one little sheep of the poor man and killed the sheep and fed it to his guests. And David said... That man is worthy of death. And Nathan said, busted. Right? You're the guy. You're that guy. And David said, what did he say? I've sinned. And so that's what Scripture does. i got to tell you guys, it happens to me all the time. Because I stay in the Scriptures, God's constantly challenging me about attitudes because you're getting the, the... the residue of the world on you all the time. Like whether it's road rage or maybe I'm just feeling grumpy. Like there's times, you know, I don't know if it's manopause or what, but I, I feel like I'm more grumpy sometimes. And, 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 and Kathleen's, you know, she, she, I'm tempted to be grumpy. It's like, it's like the doctor said to the, to the, to, to the lady going into, through menopause, he said to her, when you wake up in the morning, do you wake up grumpy? And she says, no, nah, I just let him sleep in, right? And it's interesting because sometimes I'll take a retreat out of my, it's almost like I step out of my body and I'm watching myself and I'm feeling grumpy. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and I feel like I have a choice right now to either act upon what I feel or act upon what I know. Right? And that's what the Word of God does. Is it's, it says it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And it, it, it tells you you're not a slave to your feelings and your impulses and your lusts and your anger. You don't have to give that guy the finger just because he gave you the finger. 
You don't have to retaliate. You don't have to be sarcastic just because somebody else was sarcastic to you. You don't have to. The Bible has the power to cleanse and free you to be renewed in your mind. So it's, it's rebuking, correcting, training. That word training is like fitness. It's like a workout. It's like doing weights. It's like going for a run. It's, it's exercising yourself. That's what Scripture is useful. It, it, you exercise. You see, godliness requires exercise. It's not easy. It's like weightlifting. Sometimes you have to go against the grain. So godliness is, 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 it needs training and Scriptures is a good uh, fitness center to do that, right? Verse 17, so that all God's people may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So it's a corporate shaping that's going on. So how, does, how do, is our community shaped by Scripture? The first thing is public reading. Paul writes to Timothy, a pastor of a church of probably 30,000 people at Ephesus. Paul tells Timothy that his first job, he says, until I come... Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. The church in Ephesus would literally come together just to read the Scripture. And there's an Old Testament precedent for this. You remember that renewal often happened when Nehemiah and Ezra and others would call the people together. And and they said that as long as the children could understand, they were to come and be a part of that. And they would read the Scripture. They would stand for hours and read the Scripture. Paul said, until I come, Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Now, I need need to say that in the ancient times, up to the 1500s, Scripture was so rare and expensive that to have a biblical manuscript was like owning a Rolls Royce. And often there was only one in the whole community. So, the public reading of Scripture was essential because it was the only way people could read the Scripture. They had to come together to hear it. They didn't have PowerPoint, no. That's right. Now, when the Reformation came, and people got, you know, the Bible became very, with the invention of the printing press, the Bible became common and available to individuals, which was great, but something was lost. And that was that sense of corporate coming together. And everybody, as, as one reformer said, became their own pope. <laughs> right? Go home and smoke that for a while. <laughs> You'll wake up in the middle of the night and, and get it. So, so it produced this independence and and, and so the fundamental law of biblical interpretation is, is interpretation is communal. It's corporate. All right? The interpretation of Scripture was meant to be done in community. Uh, the second thing Paul says is give yourself, Timothy, to teaching and to preaching. And so what's happening right now, the Bible tells us is a very important sacrament and grace for the church is there needs to be, there, there's just something, you know, some people say, well, we're just not going to have uh, corporate services anymore. We're just going to meet in homes and have Bible study and, 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 and we don't need these times when we come together. My experience has been that something is lost when we don't have a corporate gathering to hear the teaching and preaching of the Word along with worship. 
There's, there's a sacrament and a grace. And, and Paul seemed to recognize that with Timothy. We say, well, Gordy, I've got you know, Chuck Swindoll on the radio and Andy Stanley on the internet. Well, I don't need you anymore. And, and it's true. There's an incredible proliferation of teaching available. Uh, but I think Jack Hayford said it this way, that the, the pastoral teaching and preaching gift is leading and feeding that it's specific to a congregation, that it's not just content, that God literally leads us as a church through this. And so, if you miss Sundays, by the way, another plug, go to our website. Dawson has done an amazing job. You can get Sunday sermon just like that. Yeah. And I've been doing it myself. I've been catching up the Sundays I missed. I heard Dean great last week or the week before and Wade. Fantastic. It's so wonderful to be able to do that. I load that on my iPhone and I just, I just take Wade home with me, right? Oh, I have to make some steak too, huh? Um, so the third way that we're shaped by scriptures is small groups for accountability. The early church met in homes and they broke bread and they, they talked about the teaching that they heard in the corporate gathering as the apostles uh, disseminated the stories of Jesus. They confessed their faults to one another and they prayed for one another in small groups. Paul said this to the Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell among you richly as Gordy teaches and admonishes you. Is that what it says? says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach, as you admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. You see, in small groups, everybody becomes a minister. Everybody becomes a teacher. Everybody becomes a priest. Right? And so the early church has recognized and the church has, through history, the value of why small groups are important. People don't fall through the cracks. Even a crowd like this, we're not big today, but, but even a crowd like this, it's too big to keep track of everybody. N- not to mention all the people that are uh, taking a break today. Right? And so small groups help you miss someone when they're missing. You can become known. Remember, that's one of the definitions of a disciple is you're one who is known in community. How can you be known in this context? You're looking at the back of somebody's head. That seven-minute coffee break is great, but it's not going to cut it, right? It's a good start, but it's not going to cut it. Everybody gets to play, to participate, to engage, to ask questions, to discuss the Word. J.I. Packer, uh, in Systematic Theology 2, uh, one, of the, one of the joys I had in, in going through Regent was I got to sit under his ministry for Systematic 1 and Systematics 2 and some other courses, I think. I think I did. Maybe guest lectures and stuff. Wonderful senior man of God. Still lives in our city. But he writes about the fact that there's all kinds of different small groups that you don't need to be restricted to one kind. There's Bible study groups, prayer groups, uh, recovery groups based on scripture, growth and accountability groups, task groups, chili wagon groups, uh, groups that meet to debrief Sunday's sermon. Somebody might want to debrief a book study. I recently, a, a, a group 
in our church went through Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together. Uh, the, the women just went through a video series. So there's different ways that, that groups can happen. But he, he goes on, yeah, he's kind of cute. He says, you should be sensitive in the makeup of the groups. This is Packer now. Three teens and five ladies over 75 may not work well. <laughs> you should be flexible on the size of the groups. A group carrying passengers is too big. And one that fails to enrich and enlarge its members is either two grooves, too dead, or too small. And so one of the things that we're praying about as a church is targeting October, November of this fall, where for eight weeks we're going to start a number of temporary groups. And just we're open to ideas and suggestions about what you'd like to do, if you'd like to lead one, if you'd like to host one, we're going to be starting getting sign up. And for two months, from October to November, for eight weeks, we'll operate these groups and then we'll stop for Christmas time, for December, because it's, it's ridiculous trying to do groups during that time anyway. We'll regather in January and launch again in February and kind of just, just tweak and, and, and work with it and just see how it works. And some of them may be groups that debrief Sunday. They may be Bible book studies. If you have on your heart, we want to do a, a seek course. This is like a vineyardized alpha. And if you're interested in that, talk to Dawson. Uh, because it's a wonderful opportunity in your neighborhood to open up a group and invite people in to just explore. It was done for Harvard doctors. This was a vineyard church in the Harvard area of Boston. And the course was developed for them. So people that are intellectual and seeking, and, but yet want to encounter the presence and reality of God. Uh, there, there's some good resources there. And then as a daily practice, in, um, I, I, I still believe in seeking God in His Word alone. Uh, I do that every day, usually. Uh, maybe six of seven days a week I'll do this. And my regimen is usually as follows. So I'll take about 20 minutes just to quiet myself. Uh, and journal. I'll, I'll take some time just to, to get in touch with my heart. What am I sad about? What am I mad about? What am I worried about? What, just, just, we as Christians are sometimes very good at being out of touch with what's going on inside. And so I just take some time to do that. And then the first thing I do is I open my Bible to a gospel reading. It's called a pericope. It's the fi- fancy word for a self-contained story in the gospel. And most Bible translations now... Uh, segment your New Testament into sections anyway. So it's all already outlined for you. But it's a, a self-contained story. And I do a Lectio, Lectio Divina exercise where I just slowly read the passage four times. And w- at least one of them I read out loud. One of the times I cheat and read my NIV study book, TNIV study notes for a cultural context. And I recommend a good study Bible. Because remember, it was written thousands of years ago, different time, different culture, and sometimes getting the, the cultural context is what study notes are good for. And then what I do is I, take, I, I keep my pen in hand, my journal, and I ask questions like, what is there to believe in what I've just read? What is Jesus asking me to believe? What does it say about me? What does it say about God, about others? What am I to do? What am I to repent of? Is there encouragement? Is there warning? Sometimes God will actually warn me of a temptation that's going to come that day. It'll come 
as I read the Scripture? And how can I respond to God with? I, I usually respond, I'll, I'll usually write a, at least a one or two sentence prayer that I'll respond to. And uh, that takes maybe 10, 15 minutes. And then what I'll do is I'll, I'll read one other chapter, either from the Old Testament. I read through the Bible that way every two or three years. And, and so I, every day I make sure that I get a gospel. And then some other part of the scriptures, either the, the epistles of the New Testament or the Old Testament. And then I end my Bible time with reading a psalm. And I pray it out loud. The psalms are a good exercise regimen for learning the language of worship and prayer and, and praise. And, and uh, sometimes it doesn't feel like it, it fits where you are and it to- seems totally off the wall. But a lot of times it's amazing how timely reading a psalm out has been for where I'm at emotionally, especially after I've articulated what I'm going through emotionally. And then I will go for a prayer walk and through the neighborhood and I pray the structure of the Lord's Prayer, and I pray for you, and I pray for my family, and I worship, and I... And, and, but I'll take time to think about what I read, and I'll talk to God more about that during that time. Now, should you do it that way? Not necessarily. Sometimes if you're not doing anything, it's good to copy somebody else to start. But maybe it's a Bible reading plan. Talk to Alec or to Dawson if you want a daily Bible reading plan. There's online resources where you can just go through that. I find a journal always helps. And even if I don't know what to say, I'll just say something. And often when I just say something, I'll, all of a sudden I'll go, whoa, right? Um, and then finally, practice the Packer Loop. Now the Packer Loop is this. You'll remember that we talked about the discipleship loop from Robert Coleman, where there's this bottleneck that happens at the area of impartation where we, we're good at hearing the Word of God, but we're not good at putting it into practice. That's the bottleneck of discipleship. And J.I. Packer, he warns about this, and he, he talks about you, you start by prayerfully meditating on the Scripture, And then the Holy Spirit, by the way, Dean, this was in systematic too. Can you believe this? Prayerfully uh, meditate on the scripture. And then the Holy Spirit guides us into wisdom. What is wisdom? It's the next step of obedience. Right? And then he said you pray and you ask for God's empowering to do what you believe he's leading you to do. And by the way, the community can be part of that. Your small group as you're processing it. Then he said, believe God's heard you and tackle the task. I like that. And then he said, after you've done it, stop and review and reflect. And, 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 you know, during the evangelism series, I've been doing this. There are some steps God told me to take in evangelism, just like what you heard Rose share. I've been doing that. But then I take some time after I've evangelized and just reflect on the conversations I had. And, um, uh, And then he said, repeat the cycle. James said this, and I'll close with this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Now, here's the graphic image. Anyone who listens but does not do is like someone who looks at himself in a mirror and forgets what he looks like. And 
So let's say you look in the mirror in the morning and you, you see a booger out of your nose, right? <laughs> James said, when you hear and don't do the word, it's like seeing that booger and you walk away and you walk around that thing on your face all day. I just thought I would leave you on this happy Mother's Day <laughs> with a beautiful illustration, right? But, but it's true. That's the point, is it's true. Is that when we just listen time after time after time and we don't do the Packer loop, we don't look for ways to do the Word. Like this evangelism series, seriously. What are you doing about it? And that's not a condemnation. That's a challenge to hear the Holy Spirit because He's got life for you. He's got freedom for you that fits you, fits who you are. So let's stand. And and what I'd like to do to to wrap up tonight, today, it's not tonight yet, I haven't preached that long, is to read this psalm together. It's it's one of the beautiful psalms. I was going to get you to read. It's interesting. Psalm 19 and Psalm 119 are both about the Word of God. Powerful psalms about the Word of God. So we had a choice this morning. Read Psalm 19 or read Psalm 119. (laughs) Now, if we read Psalm 119, we would be here for a long time, all right? Much longer than we are now. So we'll read Psalm 19. So I'll just start it, and then there's a chance for us all to read together. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, He has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of His chamber like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Altogether, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. And one more. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart Be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The word of the Lord. So, Father, we as a community, we offer ourselves to to your word, to be a community under your word.
And as Paul said to the Colossians, teach us what it means to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly as a community. Teach us what it means to be shaped as a community, shaped by the message of Christ. And may our cities and our neighborhoods, our families, our friends, see the impact. For ministry time, because we had already kind of an extended time blessing our moms, I'm going to cut it short, but I want to give you a priestly blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face towards you and give you peace. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. May the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Amen.